Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. Hello. On this episode of Buildings and Beyond, Kelly Westby sits down with Ellen Honigstock to discuss the topic of workforce development and training of building operators. Ellen is the Senior Director of Education at Urban Green Council, a nonprofit organization dedicated to decarbonizing buildings through education and policy. At Urban Green, Ellen oversees numerous workforce development programs and is instrumental in their GPRO and Crush the Energy Code training programs. Ellen has worn many hats at Urban Green over the past three decades. To name a few, she served as their first residential green building advocate, helping to increase sustainable residential construction across the state of New York. She also served as committee chair of the Green Codes Task Force. And on top of all that, Ellen is a host of Urban Green's own podcast, Building Tomorrow, Conversations with Climate Solvers. Ellen actually interviewed Kelly on the topic of building commissioning for their podcast, and I encourage you to check that out. A link to it will be found in our show notes, or you can search Building Tomorrow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You know, buildings can be complicated. Heat pumps, all-electric systems, even high-performance windows may require a serious learning curve for the people that run the building on a day-to-day basis. Kelly and Ellen dig into what it takes to effectively educate building operators to ensure occupant comfort, energy and carbon reductions, sustainability, and the overall performance of the building. Hope you enjoy. So why did you get so excited about building operator training? Well, thank you for uh, identifying my excitement about training. (laughs) I do get on a workforce development high from time to time. So I'm an architect by trade. I practiced for 25 years and I've been at Urban Green for over a dozen years. And, um, you know, as an architect, you see a lot of things and you, you know, I was an architect for a small firm and I spent a lot of time on job sites and I worked with, you know, the trades and the contractors for, for many years and they just, they know so much and it just always seemed to me that, um, the folks in charge just like weren't listening to them or weren't giving them sort of the credit that was due. So, you know, when I got this job and I'm sure I'll, you'll ask me about it, I'll tell you how I got here. But, um, what was so interesting to be able to be able to do training for people that knew their jobs really, really well and to be able to just tweak their job a little bit to make them be able to see the job in the context of sustainability and how they could, um, you know, now they're doing a green job and they were doing almost the same job yesterday. And it was just really exciting because you can make a lot of change with just a little bit of, um, you know, moving people off their regular perspective. Yeah, with a little bit of guardrails and uh, yeah. bumper cars or something. Um, it's funny, you were uh, reminded me of, I was talking to somebody who was looking at how to connect college students to um, to specific careers and was talking about the, the green career industry. I think they phrased it something like that. And I was like, well, and, and kind of like, what are the jobs within the, the green career industry? And I said, well, I don't really think about it like that. I think like every job, could have some sort of sustainability component. And I think that absolutely hit the nail on the head as like your job doesn't need to be 100% sustainability or energy efficiency or green to be a positive impact on the built environment. Exactly. When I'm talking like 
people always say, oh, can you talk to my kid? Can you talk to this class or whatever about sustainability? And it's like, well, yeah, what's a job in sustainability? And I'm just like, look, sustainability isn't a thing. It's a process that you apply to the thing that you're really good at. Mm-hmm. Right, the thing you like, the thing that you're, you know, going to change the world with. When you figure out how to do that in a sustainable way, then now, you know, now we're doing it right. Yeah. So that's yeah, that is that's exactly how I see it too. And it's um, I'm really happy to share that approach with you. I love that. Um, and we, I like to think about. Um, you know, you you were talking about sustainability as a as a process, and I think like there's always a, a broader lens to things. And we talked about this the other day of like what is training versus workforce development. Can you kind of describe how you would? That's a good question, and I kind of wish that I had looked those things up to be able to give you an actual definition. <laughs> no, I just want Ellen's However, answer. <laughs> oh well, then okay. <laughs> So in my mind, workforce development is a much larger umbrella that includes um, formal apprenticeships, um, it includes internships, it includes um, you know, uh, workforce training organizations that train a wide variety of people, you know, uh, organizations like uh, New Non-Traditional Employment for Women, that's a pre-apprenticeship program that is a, a direct entry program in New York City for the various trade unions. All that stuff is workforce development, mm. right? So we do training. Our training, we do classroom training. We're a very small organization. And so we are very, we have to be very, um, strategic about the kinds of trainings that we choose to pursue. So what we really do is we, we talk to folks in the, in the various trades and we figure out, you know, where are the gaps? Mm. And then we talk to the experts who know how to fill those gaps. And then we make trainings about those so we can, you know, level the, um, the learning curve for as many people as possible. So did that answer your question? You could say you're a filler too. Yes. I knew we had a lot in common. Um, so you, your program, um, for building operators specifically, um, I mean, you're an architect. What do you have to offer the building operators? Oh, nice Kelly. That's (laughs) super nice. So our program is, uh, it's the larger program is called G pro and we have, um, we have, uh, courses for various trades, but the one that you're referring to is G pro operations and maintenance essentials. And it's, um, a 12 hour course, it's, um, we teach it on site or we teach it, you know, it's mobile. We can teach it anywhere remotely or whatever. And um, it covers really the basic principles of sustainable operations. So the basic thing is systems thinking, right? Mm -hmm. How are all the systems connected, right? Because you can't talk about um, heating and cooling if you're not talking about indoor air quality, right? And, you know, how does pest management relate to that? Well, when you're thinking about indoor air quality and what you're sealing off and where the holes are, it relates to how little craters are coming in the building. Like, it's just all connected, right? Mm. And so once you see it, like once you can see the matrix, you never unsee it, (laughs) right? And so that's, you know, that's the part to answer your, get back to your question. So as an architect, we have to see the whole system. Mm. And I feel like that's the piece that, um, you know, that we, we offer the trades because the industry is so siloed, mm. right? Plumbers see plumbing, HVAC folks see, you know, boilers and ducts and things, but really they all need to see a little bit beyond their own purview. Great. And we talked a little bit about, um, about, human science and building science in uh, the episode that you aired on your podcast. And so can you tell me a little bit about what kinds of human science courses you have in your curriculum? So that's a good question. If we called it human science, nobody would take it. So we (laughs) (laughs) we don't call it that. Um, So one of our 
larger GPRO modules is called construction management, mm-hmm. right? And it's really about, um, I mean, it could be called GPRO communication because the whole thing is about just making sure, you know, what the owners, how the owner's requirements are transferred to the contractor. And if you're going to make a substitution, what that means. And now with folks being concerned about what's in all of our materials, how do we check? How do we know? How do, what are, you know, how do you submit information so that everybody is satisfied across the whole, you know, spectrum of the project. And um, so those are the kinds of things that we, um, that we teach. And we really, we don't call them soft skills either. (laughs) I think communication is is a well respected term, um, but even that, I think it's it's um, sometimes convincing folks how important communication is. Uh, it feels like the um, it feels fluffy almost. Still. Right, but you can't just say do better communication, <laughs> right? So you know, in GPROCM, we go through you know here's the proper way to do it, right? Yeah. And, and our energy code courses, there's a whole section about compliance. Here's how you fill out the forms. Here's yeah. what the the commissioning piece looks like, you know, and here's who has to sign it. You know, just all the little nuts and bolts, right? And then we have an, another program, a follow-on to GPRO ONM. We call it GPRO at Work because it's a coaching program. It's longer term. It's more one-on-one. Mm. And there's a lot of um, people, human science in that <laughs> as well. And we also, we don't call it that, but um, it's so surprising to me how far some small tweaks in communication or management skills will go, mm. right? Like um, we, had a, we had a project where... You know, we had a whole training plan in place and, and all the things. And so we had to figure out how to get feedback from the people who are taking various trainings, you know, which ones were good, which ones can you, you know, do a lunch and learn to the others, you know, whatever. And so we're like, hey, you know, how often do you do you do one-on-ones with your staff? They're like, what? Why would we do that? We only meet with them one-on-one for disciplinary purposes. I was like, wait, hold on. So you only invite someone into your office if you're going to fire them? Okay, maybe we need to change that up a little bit and meet with folks regularly about all kinds of stuff so that you know communication can go two ways. And you cannot believe how successful that was because now all of a sudden there was a flow of information in two directions and everyone was finding out things that they didn't, didn't know and needed to know. And some of them had worked there for, for dozens of years. Yeah. So it's, it's that kind of stuff where like, you know, here's, here's a thing you can do, try it. Oh, that yeah. didn't work? Here's a different thing you can do, try that. But we see everything through the lens of training. So. Yeah. And that's, uh, I love how you talked about, like, here's something, you can try it. That's my approach to leadership as well. And I call it the, con- because I see everything with commissioning lens, I saw it con- a continuous commissioning of my leadership skills. Is <laughs> like, listen to a podcast, try something new. They don't like it? Try something else. Uh. Right. And I don't know, I'm sure you do this as well, but if we're going to make a change like at, at our office, I'll say, hey, I'm going to make this change. I'm going to try it. So that they're, the people who are on my team aren't sort of like, what is going on here? They know what to expect. And then they're, we're in it together and we're trying to figure it out. And that works, I think, at every, at every level. And on, for you know, O&M teams and facilities teams, I mean, sometimes those teams have 80, they have 80 or 100 people on them. Yeah. And so you really need you know, systems to be able to convey information and, you know, and share and transfer knowledge. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I, I think particularly in technical fields, like in the trades, like in engineering, um, and even in architecture, I think uh, you talked about you know, having this more general view and the more systems thinking and kind of 
pulling that information out and being a filler. But I think in all of these um, things, there's a, you know, there's a science to it. There's you develop technical knowledge and then you're an expert and then you're teaching other people your expertise. But the reality of the situation is, and particularly as systems are changing and things are changing in the environment, but in any industry, things are changing and you're learning new things. Uh, it can't be that I am the leader, so that means I know all the things, and you guys are the followers, so you... And it has to be that proactive communication. And how do you pull information out of people when you have that sort of dictatorship style? That's not going to work. Right, right. So so helping teams, you know, set up systems that maybe that, you know, the supervisors who may have, you know, come up in different kinds of cultures, they're not used to it, they're not comfortable with it. So, you know, we practice where everyone's not watching them. Mm. You know, things like that. We really try to make it as comfortable for people as possible because if, if folks are uncomfortable, they're not gonna they're not gonna wanna do it. I mean look, there's value in, you know, plowing through the discomfort to learn new things, but not when, you know, you're trying to practice leadership things. Yeah. So, you know, it's we, we've learned a lot with a, with a bunch of different teams, and so now when when I meet a new potential client, they're like, "Hey, well, you know what's going to happen?" I'm just like, "I don't know," <laughs> you know? <laughs> right? Which is the answer you always give for commissioning. It yeah. depends. Yeah. It depends on what the team needs. Yeah. And, you know. So it's it, it's it's very interesting. But from the technical side. Um, people think that they just need all this technical information, and sometimes they do. Yeah. But one, our motto at Urban Green is, you know, we make the technical relatable, yeah. and that's really important to us because, you know, it could be as technical as a spaceship, but if you can't understand what you're doing and do it every day, and frankly, explain it to the other guy when you're sick, it's not going to work, right? Yeah. So all, I mean, we. So Ellen's definition of training, all of those things are under the umbrella of training. <laughs> um, and I want to also talk a little bit, most of what we talking talked about here, you talked about leadership skills, it's more about incumbent workers. What is the difference between training incumbent versus new workers? Oh, that's a great question. So incumbent workers are, um, I mean, in my mind, folks that are, you know, tradespeople, electricians, plumbers, folks in, in the mechanical industry who've just been doing the job for a long time. Um, the the construction. I'd be interested to hear what you think about this as well, because what from what I see is that the construction industry is changing so fast. Mm -hmm. There are jobs that um, new workers today are going to be doing that didn't exist five years ago, ten years ago, right? And um, so, so okay, you asked about incumbent workers versus new workers. So incumbent workers, let's say you know you're a plumber and you're um, you've been installing gas, hot water heaters for your whole life and and you inherited your company from your dad who inherited it from his dad, mm. right? Think about how slow that sets three generations and this is not abnormal. We see this everywhere, right? It cha The change is so slow that you have to sometimes wait for the company to change hands before there's someone who's like, oh yeah, this heat pump thing. I heard about that. That's mm. pretty cool, right? The whole industry isn't like, whoa, let's do heat pumps tomorrow. They just don't want to. People don't, people hate change, right? Contract liability is what it is, change is terrifying and risky and all this, and we get this. So uh, an important part of training for us is, um, you know, for incumbent workers is trying to, you know, reduce risk and level the learning curve and that kind of stuff so that the industry can move faster in the direction it needs to go, right? So on the new worker side, it's, it's really interesting because people, and I'm not going to call them kids, I all the time, I'm really trying so hard not to do that. Young workers, new workers coming into the field, right? They are, you know, have native internet experience. They 
in two minutes, they're going to have a native AI experience. They can do spreadsheets in their sleep, things that you know maybe older workers are less comfortable with, right? So they're coming in with skills that they think aren't even important, but they are. They're critical, but they need to understand how the building systems work, right? right? And so you can't get building system experience without time in buildings. Yeah. So we really try to, we do our best to, to um, give these new workers an example of what the whole system looks like how thing, and how things are interconnected. So when they go to jobs, they, they, can, you know, they can see the matrix yeah. and also be able to explain that to, some, you know, to other folks who haven't had the same training. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I think it's interesting that you said about change. I've heard both ways. You know, humans don't like change. Humans do like change. I think there that idea of risk, though, there's different types of risk tolerance that we have in the world, and there are different types of folks attracted to different things. And one thing that came up for me before coming into this conversation is there is like a little bit of a connection um, between commissioning and building operators, uh, and I think it has to do with, and I, I feel like sometimes this is seen as a negative word in our industry, incrementalism. Things can always be better, and uh, we can make them a little bit better over time. And I, I think it's not necessarily that the building operators are, are, um, are not necessarily interested in change, but in incremental change that they know is going to produce a good result. Because right. they owe a good result to the people that live and work and play in that building. But they're also going to be there. Yeah. The construction team can get as incremental as they want, and they're gone. And then they're gone. The, yeah. the building operator is the one who's getting the call. Yeah. Right. So that person really wants to make sure that they can achieve they the, know outcome. the outcome. Right. They want fewer hot and cold calls. They want to be able to give the person an answer and actually fix the thing and, and all that. And they know what they can and can't do. So I, I agree with you. But there's a lot of new there's new, you know, advances in controls now. Like yeah. that's a huge thing now. Yeah. Right? I mean he the heat pumps there's every piece of equipment has a computer in it. Exactly. It's so different than it used to be. So I, I just feel like that there's um there's gonna be a lot more um not job changing, but like really career shifting yeah. as people sort of, you know, learn some skills, get in, try something out, and then start to see what's available and then narrow their career towards the things that they gravitate towards. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I love that. Uh, the other thing I'm an incrementalist about, or, and maybe, or maybe a continuous commissioner about, is uh, anyone's career. I think we, there's, there seems to be some sort of pressure on younger people. Uh, about choosing the right thing. Yes. And I don't know what, like why it is this particular, I don't know. But you, I, I am more of a believer. And, and I, I, you know, I actually think part of it is our industry. You need to work on the most important project or you're working on a stupid project. And those are the options. And I feel like we do that a lot in our industry. You're working on the biggest passive house in the world or your project means nothing. I love the biggest project passive house in the world. We've worked on them. They're great. <laughs> Amazing. They sometimes have problems. We sometimes have to fix them um, and do incremental better things. But I think also sometimes you just get started in your career and then you make tweaks along the way, right. like these little nudges. You right. learn a little bit about communication and it takes you a little bit further. Exactly. You learn a new skill and it takes you further. And I think this approach to, you can approach your career in two ways and you can get to the career or like try to become an expert and then try to coast for the rest of your life. And those people will like maybe do fine. 
or you can approach your career like something that you can continue to invest in and you can continue to learn and continue to be curious over time. And those are the people who are continuously being developed. And they're going to be part of whatever workforce is to come. Exactly. And from a macro level, not from the individual, but looking at sort of the industry, I mean, we've never, I don't think we've ever been in a place where there is this, you know, pent up demand of Mm. this new type of work, retrofitting existing buildings to reduce carbon, right? I mean, hundreds of millions of buildings around the, around the country, right? And people are just starting to pick their heads up and like, well, you know, and if one or 2% of those buildings started to move forward very quickly, we're going to look around and be like, oops, there's nobody here to do anything. There's nobody around. So those kinds of skills, how to work in occupied buildings, right? Um, what are the systems? How do we, we change out one system for another? How do we fuel switch? How do we electrify? These things are not small issues, but it sounds like, oh, just give me the drawings and I'll just do it. But it's, it, there's, it's not like that. And so learning those bits and pieces of skills, and those are all the kinds of things that we're filling those ga- trying to fill those gaps. Because what I'm hoping is that we can reach enough people that they can, they can take off. Yeah. And the truth is that even any training that you go to today is outdated in two weeks. We just had a discussion about PTHPs earlier in the office. And the caveat to the entire team was, this is what we've learned so far based on the couple units, the cold, couple cold, cold climate PTH package terminal heat pumps that yes. are available <laughs> um, on the market today. There's going to be new and different ones on the market in six months. Right, but if you're teaching people what are the specifics about that type of unit and the unit changes, they have the fundamental understanding from which to then go to the next one. So that's another fundamental uh, value of ours, right? right? Like we do energy code training we're, we're not going to teach you, you know, just what's in this energy code. Yeah. We're going to teach you how to comply with an energy code. Right. So when the next one comes, you are ready. There, there'll be a, a red line document that tells you what's different and you're going to know, you know, exactly what's, what's needed, except for maybe the new thing you never heard of before. And guess what? There'll be a course about that. That's fine. But really, it's, the industry has to just accumulate, accumulate different kinds of knowledge that they didn't have before and apply it in ways they didn't before. It's not starting over, yeah. but it really is a slightly different approach. And that's how we, you know, that's how we address all of it. Mm. Can you, like, if you had to describe in one sentence, what is that different approach? I can do it in two words, systems thinking. Mm. It's thinking of the thing that you're doing in the context of the larger system, right? Mm. Like we were talking about the um, heat pump water heater training that we're doing with uh, local one plumbers in New York City, right? And the big thing is commissioning these systems. And so thinking about, you know, the old days, you would take out a gas Mm -hmm. hot water heater, that one broke, you'd put in the new one, you would turn the water on and the water was hot, you are done, I did a great job, see you later. With a heat pump now, okay, now that there's there's energy performance, there's different controls that the operator has to know. There's just some stuff, and you have to sort of anticipate how this is going to be used, yeah. right? What are, what are the expectations? How do I make sure that the thing is installed to comply with those expectations, even if it's not you know the biggest passive house in the world, mm. right? It's a six story co op in Queens. You know what? There's two thousand of those, yeah. right? Let's get those going, and then there'll be less risk on on those because now there'll be it'll be a known quantity, right? So we're really trying to use training to get the industry ahead of itself. So when the demand really starts to 
move quickly, which it's, it is starting to now. Yeah. I mean, I can't quantify it, but it's sort of in the air, right? That, you know, the, the workforce will, will be ready. Yeah. And uh, do you believe it will be? Yes. <laughs> and um, so what is one thing that you've learned from your students or from the trainees? Well, there are a couple things that I was surprised by. Hmm. Um, one was, well, when I first got my job, like their first visit was with um, the local unions, you know, IBW and IBW Local 3 in New York and UA Local 1, the plumbers in New York City. And I was sort of like, I was very intimidated to say the least. And um, But when it came down to it, you know, sustainability is everybody working together to solve really big problems. And the unions have collective bargaining. So their whole point is we're all we're all in it together. So it was I was going to say it was an easy sell, but it wasn't a sell at all. It was like, hey, absolutely, we are in this. So mm-hmm. their whole thing is like we're the best trained, we're the safest and I'm like and you should be the most sustainable as well because you have, you know, these vast trained, you know, legions of people ready to work on this stuff. So that's why I think that's why my answer is yes. <laughs> my second answer to that question when we, with some of our first classes, our first O&M classes, and, um, you know, you train some folks, you get to know them, and um, somebody calls me up a few months later, and their fourth grader came home talking about sustainability or climate change or whatever, and this guy said he was just so moved that um, he was able to tell his kid that he was part of the solution. And I was just like, I didn't see that coming. That's amazing. And then we started putting out surveys to get feedback. And that was really kind of like the number one thing that people told us. And these are older workers, you know, with families, but that they were, they saw their job differently. And I feel like that is success for us. I love that. And it's funny, I I feel like sometimes I'm on a, uh, I try to go around and make sure everybody's an engineer. Ashray actually has a children's book that's for engineering, and I gave one to my niece already. And uh, so anyway, uh, actually, the book is about systems thinking and how the building is kind of like a engineer is kind of like a building doctor. And you got in there's like the ventilation system is like whatever. Okay, I love anyway. that. Yes, we love that. So, <laughs> so I told uh, the I had a. Uh, my sister taught high school students and they were going to have a walkout for climate week. And I gave a presentation earlier about how they can change the world through their career. So I was very excited about that. So I'm always excited to connect our career and what we're doing to actively um, improve climate. So speaking of the future and the next generation of people, when we have you back on the podcast in five years, what will we be talking about then? That's an interesting question. Um, so 12 and a half years ago when I got this job, we started with, you know, G-Pro fundamentals, really basic stuff. Like people didn't know anything about sustainability. You know, okay, that was expected. And I thought in 10, 15 years, we'd be teaching very specific, like high-tech, futuristic stuff. Mm. And we are. 
And we're still teaching people who don't know anything about sustainability. So it's not, we're not just like moving like the rat down the snake. It's like we're teaching still the whole snake. Mm. So in five years, I think we're just going to be teaching a longer snake. This is a terrible metaphor. But you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. there's always going to be, we're always going to have people who are starting from zero, which is fine. That's mm. just how it is. I mean, look, New York is way ahead of other places in the nation and other nation, uh, other cities are way behind where we are. So there's folks who are just starting from a different, a different point. And there are people who are just chomping at the bit for the most tech, you know, most technology, most controls. Like they want their building to be like an iPhone. Fantastic. Those. That's a big spectrum of stuff. So I think probably we're going to be teaching, you know, more technical stuff and still teaching very fundamental, important stuff. That actually makes me think about some question that it maybe is unrelated, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Which is when you want to engage with people who are all along the snake, I guess. Sure. Um, <laughs> is there a good way to do that or is it better to segment the audience? Oh, that's a great question. And it took me a very long time to realize that there were commonalities across the entire the entire thing, right? So the number one thing that trades, architects, engineers, contractors, everybody, nobody wants to get left behind. Mm. Number one, that is the thing, fine. And, but we don't teach from a negative because you know, nobody wants that. So really trying to you know, explain the, the context of your job and your role in how all of this stuff is getting, I was gonna say fixed, I mean climate change isn't fixed, but you know, solved, how we're, we're, we're solving climate change. That is, um, even when we don't use the words climate change, which we often don't. Yeah. But the um, you're building better, you're building more efficiently, you're building safer, you're building healthier. Everybody wants that. Everybody yeah. wants to do a good job and nobody wants to get left behind. So, I mean, it's fairly straightforward. And sustainability can give you all of those things and show you how they're connected. So that's really the thing that people are so excited about. Thank you for putting it all in one place. You know. Yeah, that's great. I saw a panel at the ASHRAE decarbonization conference and it was... Uh, an, ar uh, an architect from AIA, an engineer, uh, um, someone from the um, Operators Association, someone from the Property Managers Association. That's awesome. So it was nice to see everybody yeah. kind of we on the same do panel. That. Yep. Yeah, and, and interacting together. And you don't see that that much in, in ASHRAE in our history, but uh, I think there's really a difference. And this we talked about at the um, at the event uh, that we were at in November that we'll link to in the show notes that I'm blanking on the name of. But we <laughs> we were talking about the big difference in the industry and the paradigm shift that I think we are looking at is when we move from a prescriptive checklist to performance based, we're really thinking about uh, engaging with each other differently because we exactly. have to look at those exactly when we developed our our eight hour energy code training yeah. and. Um, we originally were going to do one for architects and one for engineers, but they were so similar, we decided to combine them. And it was so interesting because the architects and engineers did not like that. Mm. However, it was really good for them because they, they, they had to see each other's perspectives and questions that architects were like, this makes no sense. An engineer could explain and vice versa. Mm. It was super useful. They could learn from each other, yeah. even though they were like, I don't really like this. We're like, just do it. You'll be fine. And they were fine, and it was great. You know. Yeah. So I, I agree. I mean, desiloing the industry. I don't even know how to attack that at a large scale, but that's something on our, you know, on our radar. Yeah. Yeah. Big goals. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming in today and for 
uh, hosting us on your podcast and for being on our podcast. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, same here. Thank you for having me. This was great. And thanks for being on our podcast on part one. And thanks for being an amazing friend in the industry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right back at you, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Buildings and Beyond. Buildings Beyond is produced by Stephen Winter Associates. We make buildings better. Learn more at swinter.com. Special thanks to our host, Kelly, and our wonderful guest, Alan. As a reminder, go check out Urban Green's podcast, Building Tomorrow, where you can find Ellen interviewing Kelly on the topic of building commissioning. And finally, thanks to the rest of the Buildings and Beyond production team. Rob Aldrich, Heather Breslin, Ian Slackis, and Trisha Carr. Cheers. Cheers.